Hello, and welcome to another episode of Intelligence for Your Life, the podcast. Our guest this week is Dr. Alan Laika, uh, and he, this is going to, I'm really actually very quite excited to bring you guys the interview that I have for you today. Dr. Allen wrote alongside um, someone else who we're going to have on the podcast in the future, uh, The Secrets of Living a Fantastic Life. Now, he has an amazing story uh, of how he had a near-death experience, he had a near-death diagnosis, and how he beat that diagnosis, but most importantly, what he learned in the process of thinking that he was just months away from dying. And he gives us that wisdom, these pearls of wisdom. So uh, you can get that from the interview today, also from buying his book. In a second here, I'm going to give you guys just a little bit of intelligence. But first, here is John Tesh with a word from our sponsors, Rocket Mortgage from Quicken Loans. Once again, John Tesh with a word from our sponsors, Rocket Mortgage from Quicken Loans. Home today is so much more than it was yesterday. But at Rocket Mortgage, home is still all about you. During these challenging times, the top priority at Rocket Mortgage is the health and safety of the communities they serve. And one thing that will never change is their team's commitment to giving you the best mortgage experience possible. That's why, if you need mortgage support, their team of experts is there to answer questions and offer solutions. They understand that hardships happen, and they are here to help. Whether that means working with you to save money on your mortgage or finding a new way to navigate payments. If you have questions, the team at Rocket Mortgage has answers. They know how important your home is to you because you're important to them. If you need mortgage assistance, the home loan experts at Rocket Mortgage are available to help 24 hours a day, seven days a week. From their home to yours, the team at Rocket Mortgage is with you. Visit rocketmortgage.com slash Tesh to learn more. Call for cost information and conditions. Equal housing lender licensed in all 50 states. NMLSconsumeraccess.org number 3030. Once again, want to say thank you to our sponsors, uh, Rocket Mortgage from Quicken Loans. Very, very excited to uh, to have them be a part of it. So click that link in the show notes. Uh, real fast before we get to this interview, uh, you know, I know a lot of you, we have, have had to change your summer travel plans because of the pandemic. Apparently, it's been very good news for the boat business. A boat retailer in Florida called Quality Boats just reported their best sales month in the company's 46 years in business. And Marine Max, which has boat dealerships in 23 states, says their sales numbers are up in every category from small kayaks and sailboats to larger deck boats, houseboats, and even yachts. Experts say it's similar to what happened, it's what's happening in the RV industry, where sales have jumped 600% since the pandemic started. Basically, a whopping 85% of people say they don't feel safe flying or staying in a hotel right now. So their solution is to get in an RV or put the family into a boat where you can enjoy life at a safe physical distance from others. It helps explain why an estimated three quarters of online boat inquiries are from first time boat buyers. So, you know, great time to sell your boat if you have one and you don't want to use it anymore. So enjoy that. Anyway, here, very excited to bring you Dr. Alan Laika. Dr. Alan Laika, author of the book, The Secrets to Living a Fantastic Life. Uh, Thank you so much for being a part of the show with us today. Gee, Gib, it's just a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. You're very very welcome. Um, You... You've written this book about about you know about living your life to the fullest, but you're trained as a cosmetic dermatologist. So how did you get from from medical doctor to 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 this kind of? I mean, some would say it's a a little bit less rigorous version of than than the kind of science that you were trained in. 
Oh, well, that's a long story, but I'll keep it short. I'm going to take you back to 2003. I was walking with my wife and my youngest daughter in Disneyland, so not too far away from you. Right. We were walking. It was the end of a hot, sticky day. It was February, but it was around 100 degrees Fahrenheit. It was humid. It was hot. And my wife turned to me and she said, what's wrong with you, hun? I I looked at her for once in my life. I hadn't said anything wrong. Mm -hmm. I hadn't done anything wrong. I hadn't even thunk anything wrong. So I didn't know what she was talking about, but she persisted. What's wrong with you, hon? And I said, really, dear, I don't know. She said, listen to your foot. Now, what what kind of a wife says that? Listen to your foot. Mm -hmm. Well, my right foot had mysteriously and suddenly developed a foot drop. And with every step I was taking, it was slapping against the pavement. Mm. I noticed it. There was something wrong. She said, have you had a stroke? I said, you know, dear, that's not the way a stroke presents. She said, well, there's something wrong. Mm -hmm. When we get back, you better get this checked out. (laughs) <laughs> and that's that's to sort of put the foot down uh, from her end, you know, not not the drop well, foot that yeah. you had, but a different kind of putting you, your foot down. You know that, but when your wife puts her foot down, you better listen, otherwise you got that foot coming down on you. So I said, okay, I will. So I had cat scans, I had brain scans, I had scan scans, and you know what they showed Gib at the end of this? Uh, no. I mean, I have a, not, a hunch because I've read your bio, but but go ahead. Well, the answer is not a darn thing. The doctors were befuddled. They didn't know what to say. They thought I had a brain tumor. They thought I had a slip disc. Nothing showed. So I went through more tests. I probably did about a billion dollars worth of tests. There were tests that weren't even invented yet that were done on me. And then I ended up on the doorstep of a world-leading neurologist. Mm. He's supposed to have all the answers. You know, the neurologists are supposed to have all the pieces. They're supposed to know everything. Mm -hmm. Well, I went in and I said, I introduced myself. He said, you better be sitting down when I tell you this. I said, why? I've got a drop right foot. He said, no, you don't. You've got ALS, Lou Gehrig's disease, and in six months, you're going to be dead. Get your affairs in order. Oh, gosh. Holy smoke, I said. Jeez, I said, is there a way you could prove this diagnosis? He said, of course, on autopsy. (laughs) Wow. 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 What a bedside matter. So I shot back. I'm not going to die to prove you wrong. (laughs) Yeah. But, But when you go through this, you know, you don't know what to do. Your head is just a mess. And you go through the phases of grieving that were described by Elizabeth Kubler-Ross. And there you go through anger. You're angry at Mm -hmm. everybody. You can bite the head off nails. You go through uh, depression where you're so depressed, you can't even get out of bed in the beginning of the day. Mm -hmm. You just don't know. You go through denial. Mm -hmm. Oh, there's nothing wrong. I can do anything. There's, But you know, it's not right. Mm -hmm. And you go through bargaining. Oh, God, don't let me let this happen. I will do anything if this doesn't happen. Mm -hmm. But Elizabeth Kubler's Ross last step is acceptance. And I knew in my heart of hearts, there was no accepting this diagnosis. I knew that there was something else wrong. So I asked my wife, what do you think is wrong? And she said, I haven't got the faintest idea. And you're smart. You can figure it out, she said. Well, another load of bricks on my shoulders that I had to do. But, you know, back in 2003, they had just invented this new thing called the Internet. Have you ever heard of it, Gib? Vaguely. Vaguely remember the 2003's Internet. 
Well, you know, it was kind of primitive. You had to use dial-on connections. You had to phone up. It would take 15 minutes. Your phone <laughs> would go, and finally it would connect. And, you know, it was so primitive back then. You had to type in a language called uh, some strange language because you didn't even have enough information that you could do that. Pr computers were primitive. They couldn't do anything. Right. So the point is I had some friends that were nerds. They helped me. And we looked up every diagnosis that, that looked like ALS, but was not ALS. So we found a doctor in Colorado Springs, Colorado, by the name of David Martz. And David had gone through exactly what I did, but he got worse much more rapidly. And he was lying on his deathbed. And doctors from around the world were coming to say goodbye to David. He was a very well-known hematologist. So everybody wanted to see him. Mm -hmm. So you know what? A doctor from Texas came up and he looked at David and said, there's something wrong with your picture. He said, really? And the doctor said, yes, I don't think you have ALS, Lou Gehrig's disease. I think you have something else. David said, what could it be? The doctor said, I think you've been bitten by a tick and you have something called chronic Lyme's disease. Mm. Back, back in 2003, that was almost unheard of. No one knew of this weird disease. Mm -hmm. But David whispered, because he was so weak at the time, what do I do? The doctor from color, uh, the doctor from Texas said, all you have to do is start up my treatment. And if I'm right, you're going to get rapidly better. Well, you know, it, David was just like uh, Lazarus arising from the dead. He got up, he danced, he walked, he talked. He was back to normal in a week. Mm. Wow. Mm. I said, I got to get in touch with this guy. He might have some things that can help me. So I, I, he's in Colorado Springs. So I phone every hospital in Colorado Springs, Colorado, and find him. I find him at the Methodist Hospital. You know, any doctor can find any other doctor if he wants to. Well, I was able to find him there. And we talked for hours. We talked for hours, Giv. It was unreal. Mm. And he and he said, you know, why don't you come down and see me? I said, when? He said, right now. I said, Gib, this is no way I could do this, I said. I told him. I said, I can't do this, Dr. Martz. He said, why? I said, it's our Thanksgiving Day tomorrow. And he's, my wife's having 50 people over. He said, aren't there any planes in Canada? <laughs> uh, so I go and tell my wife and she said, you're going away again. I said, yes, this time it's important. And I explained to her and she said, well, of course you must go. She said, I'll take care of the 50 people. That's no problem. Uh, you know, I could do it. Well, so. what's amazing is that here she was the, the woman that was upset about the way your foot was banging on the ground at Disneyland but yet she's willing to cover for uh, 50 people at the uh, at the house. So that's, you know, it, it, the, the stuff that annoys her seems to be, uh, it's, hard, it's hard to pin her down. Well, you know, she's French-Canadian, and French-Canadians are hard to pin down. You never, <laughs> never know exactly where they're coming from. Uh, they shoot the puck, they score the goal, and that's about it. Okay, but, <laughs> uh, you know, I... 
lots of funny stories about French Canadian hockey, but <laughs> let's get back to ours. So I get on a plane. I go down to Colorado. I fly from Edmonton to Denver, which is a great flight, about three hours. And then I get on a little puddle jumper that goes from Denver to Colorado Springs. It's only a 15-minute flight, but it's the flight from hell. The reason why is that late in the day, the air comes off the desert and it causes eddies which causes the plane to drop over and over and over again. So it's like the drop of doom times 15 times 20. Mm. The plane drops 100 feet, then it goes up and drops another 200 feet, goes up and drops another 300 feet. It's awful. And I crawled off that plane at the end. And there, a miracle happened. There was David on the tarmac to meet me. Now, this was 2003. We didn't have all the security precautions right. we do now. Right. He was a well-known doctor. He was meeting a guest. And they just allowed him to walk right on and say, hi, how do you do? So he took me. He took me and we talked for hours. And he said the magic words, history is repeating itself. I think I can make you better. So I started on his treatment, and you know, at, for 30 years, I was one of the top cosmetic doctors in the world. I maintained my status because of that treatment, and I was able to do everything. But you know, when you go through this, Gib, your life changes, your world changes. You start to look around, you start to see the pieces, you start to look at the commonalities, and you really look at life differently. Mm -hmm. Now, you can get hard and mean and, and turn down a pathway that's evil and ugly, or you can turn down a pathway that's beautiful, and you realize God's plan for you is to help others, and you start to help others, and you start to give back. And mm -hmm. that's where I started writing this book. And along the way, I met, I, I was sponsoring a, a real big contest called the Women of Distinction by the YWCA. And there would be hundreds of people that would attend the event. And one of the, the, the little events that were held in there was a contest for women to, to, say that they were great because, you know, women do not get the prestige in society that most men do even yet. Mm -hmm. But back then it was even less. So a woman by the name of Harriet Tinka applied for an award in the turning points category. And her story was even more dramatic than mine. She was kidnapped. She was stabbed and left for dead. Wow. So she won the turning points category and she invited me for lunch. She said, I'll buy you lunch, Dr. Laika. So we started talking. We started a dialogue and we said, we got to write a book together. That was over four years ago. Wow. And you know, wow, that's where this book came about. And in this book is part of a dialogue. You'll read it. You'll see the dialogue that's between us because over several sessions, we wrote the dialogue. It was a natural dialogue and it was just great. So, you know, the commonality that we found were golden pearls. And I think we need to talk a little bit about golden pearls. I do too. I agree. I was that was going to be my next question is what is a golden golden pearl? Well, you know golden pearls actually exist in nature. They exist in uh, the southern Philippines area and the Indonesia area. They're made by a particular type of oyster. And that oyster, when it gets irritated by a grain of sand or traumatized, 
it, it basically walls off that grain of sand by putting a material called luster in it. Mm-hmm. Now, in this particular oyster, that's a golden material, and these pearls are extremely rare. They basically are so rare that a single solitary pearl could cost upwards of $10,000. Wow. So, but the point is here, this is a great analogy that happened to Harriet and I. We were traumatized. And we turned our trauma into something beautiful. Mm. We found these golden pearls that come about. And and that's what we wrote as the, as the stories in our book. And each story has a chapter in it that has a story, a story that's almost like an epiphany. It's like a parable that tells the meaning of the story and really makes it happen for people. And we found actually 20 of those. And But when we started passing around the book with 20 golden pearls, people balked and they said, well, that's too much. Wow, that's that's just like drinking from a fire hydrant, they said. Mm. So we coned it down to 13 golden pearls in this first book. And we even put a bonus pearl on, on fear because, you know, we're going through a lot of fear right now. We're going through a lot of angst right now. And people have to overcome that fear. You know, all we have to fear is fear itself, so we can start moving beyond that. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I guess, I mean, so I understand what the actual golden pearls are, So, and you have 13 of them in your book. Can you, uh, can you rattle those, those off off the top of your head? or, or, or uh, I certainly can, but let me just say how they're started. The first yes. pearl is love. The last pearl is empowerment. And between those are all the other ones. Now, these pearls are found in every one of us, Gib. They're found inside of you. Mm-hmm. They're found inside of me. And you have to just discover them. Now, you can find these golden pearls without the trauma that Harriet and I went through. So they're presented in such a way. They're meant to be a voyage of discovery. So you discover them in yourself. Right. I mean, that's that's kind of where I wanted to get, right, is... is how do we not deal with uh, a chronic disease uh, uh, diagnosis or being kidnapped and left for dead and yet still get the, you know, what is it, uh, uh, and still get the wisdom from that? So, like, like what, what, what's the saying? It's, it's uh, um, smart people learn from their mistakes. Geniuses learn from the mistakes of others. You know, how do we, how do we learn from the, the, the trauma that you guys experienced that we can have that epiphany without actually experiencing it? Let me go and tell you that this was discovered by an ancient Greek many, many years ago, 2,000 years before Christ. And he found exactly what it is. Now, the Greek was named Epictetus. Oh, yeah, and the, he's a Stoic, Epictetus, the, the slave. You got it. And he yeah. said, it's not what happens to you, it's what you do with what happens. Mm. You you see, that's how you put it all together. That's how you put the pieces together. It's not what happens to you. It's what you do with what happens. So I got to emphasize that. That's how you get out of these crises. That's how you get out of this COVID time. That's how you make the world a better place. It's not what happens to you. It's what you do with what happens. Right. Right. I mean, what, what, what I love about uh, Stoicism in general, I mean, not to get off on a, on a tangent here, but, uh, you know, you're, you're quoting Epictetus, who was, who was the lowest of the low and yet was an adherent to Stoicism. And then on the flip side of that, you have Marcus Aurelius, who was the highest of the high, and he was an adherent to Stoicism. And they both had, uh, they both had the same approach to life and yet from vastly different stations. 
Boy, Gib, you're a very educated man. I'm really pleased we're having this dialogue <laughs> today because when I mention this to mostly everybody else, they've never heard of them. Yeah, well, I'm a, I'm a bit of a nerd when it comes to stoicism. We've had a uh, we had uh, Ryan Holiday on the show before, and he's a uh, he's a big stoic guy, and 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 is a big uh, a big reason why stoicism is is gaining in popularity again. Well, and there's a good reason. I mean, it's not what happens to you. It's what you do with what happens. Right. right. Emphasize that. So how do we start to take these lessons? Because, I mean, you know, our our traditional ways of bouncing back are kind of gone right now. You know, it's hard to get we're looking at record unemployment. We're looking at a lot of people losing their jobs. Even people that have their jobs are working from home or taking furloughed time or unpaid time off. Uh, all of this stuff is sort of surrounding us. How do we start to react to this in the wisest way possible? So I get that it's how we react, but uh, you know wh- okay. what rule of thumbs do we have to get started on actually reacting well, to this positively? Well, let's start with a little bit right at the beginning. You know, even the poorest in North America are far greater than anybody else in the world. Right. That even the poorest of the poor in our country have far more than somebody in India in the slums uh, of Calcutta or or in South Africa in, in the areas that are so poor that they make less than a hundred dollars a year and live in packing boxes and and living with with a day to day existence that you and I would never dream is possible. So I want people to think about all the good things that they have. I want them to, first of all, think about that in such a way that they're grateful for what they have. Mm -hmm. You know, when I look and I look that I almost died, you know, but I had still life. You know, I had breath. I had the ability to figure it out. I have the tools at my fingertips to do it. Mm -hmm. When Harriet looks back and she almost died, you know, she realizes that she was given something. So she works with women in women's shelters now to help them so that they can come back from the abyss that they're in, in abusive situations and things like that. Mm -hmm. So at the simplest parts, we should be grateful. You know, I'm grateful for the breath in my lungs, knowing that someday soon this will cease. You know, in large part, it keeps me looking for new things like the next smile, the next sunrise, and the next sound of a little girl's giggle. And I say a yeah. little girl's giggle because I have seven grandchildren and six of them are girls. Wow. Uh, I have I don't have any grandchildren, but I do have two daughters. And so I, I know what a little girl's giggle sounds like. Uh, well, I have I have four daughters, so I, I was over-blessed in that capacity. <laughs> um, uh, so is that it, though? I mean, is it just... Is it just looking for, is it finding gratefulness and peace in the little things? Is that the wisdom that you, you take away from this, or is, or is there more to it than that? Well, I think it's re-engineering your brain and start looking for things. Okay, these are the golden pearls. The first one is love, which is, I think, one of the greatest pearls that you'll ever imagine. Second one is inspiration. Inspiration is very important. Third is victory. Because victory is is something we should always strive for. But the fourth one is the key to it all, and that's vulnerability. Vulnerability is a pearl because, you know, what's vulnerable makes you beautiful and makes you awesome. Right. You know, vulnerability is where it's at. And when things like this happen to us, 
you're very much more vulnerable. You know, I read a study where people who have lost their job have a much harder time to deal with it than to deal with the loss of a loved one. You know, that is showing how hard it is on people. Mm-hmm. But you know, when you're vulnerable, that's when good things happen. Gib, have you ever been in love? I mean, yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, I, I this, currently uh, am. Okay, are you vulnerable in that situation? Obviously. Obviously, yeah. Yes. It's a very vulnerable situation. Yes. But the point is, in that situation, you can never be in love unless you're vulnerable and allow it to happen. Right. Otherwise, otherwise, otherwise you're just pretending. You got it. Yeah. But look at the good that comes out of that love. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. So vulnerability is the thing that makes everything happen. It's the source of beauty. It's the source for everything. It's the source for success. You know, if you're in a foot race and, and you, a, a hundred kilometer race and you don't put it on all on the line, are you going to win it? Obviously not. Obviously not. But the key is you also have to be willing to fail. Mm-hmm. Otherwise you won't happen. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, then you'll but never the, enter the race, right? If you're not right. willing to fail, you'll never get into the race at all. Okay. Now you now you're getting some of the pearls here. The <laughs> fifth one is purpose. Dolly Parton says everybody has a purpose. Purpose is one of the most important things in life. Mm-hmm. Do you know what purpose is all about? Uh, tell me. You know, purpose is a very difficult thing. You know, what is your purpose in life? Uh, I mean, honestly, it's something that I struggle to define in words every single day. It's a, it's more, I more have a feeling of what my purpose is. And it's, you know, to feed and clothe my children and to put give them a loving home. Uh, the purpose when I come to, to this job is to work on on giving people wisdom to move their lives forward. I mean, that's that's how I uh, that's how I approach it. But it, it's 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 a it, it, I I treat it. How do I put? It? I, I I treat it more implicitly than explicitly. You know, and and those are all good purposes. But let me take it a little bit deeper than that, because you're a philosophical guy and you like philosophy. Mm-hmm. You know, the Japanese have thought about this a long time, and they've in, invented something called ikigai, like an icky guy. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, and they looked hard into the concept of what the purpose is. And the first part of passion is passion and mission. And the answer there is what do you love? Okay. You obviously love being on the radio. You obviously love talking to people. You obviously love philosophy. So that's part of your passion and mission. Mm-hmm. Okay. The second part of, of this thing is passion and profession. And that's what you are good at. You know, Kim, what are you good at? I mean, again, that's something I am always trying to expand, right? Like I, I, there are, th- I am, I'm a, I'm a mediocre, uh, listener and, uh, and I'm, but I'm good at taking the, my mediocre listening skills and, and turning that into questions or I'm decent at that. And uh, I'm 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 pretty good at taking stuff when I hear it on the air 
and and turning it into uh, shtick relatively quickly. Like that's well, and then I try to expand my skill set constantly. So I okay, I'm doing improv me, classes and 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 technique classes for all kinds of stuff as I go through my life. Perfect. And let me tell you a couple of things. I I don't know you. I just met you, but you've got a a, a voice that's perfect for radio. And and you know the point is with that, you also have a natural curiosity to look up a bunch of things. So right. those two things make you a natural for being a podcast master. You're, you're a natural at being on the radio and doing what you do because of your innate skills. Oh, thank you. Okay. Now let's look at the third part and that's vocation. And the question you ask there is what does the world need? Okay. What does mm -hmm. the world need? Mm -hmm. Yeah. It needs a lot of things. I mean, yeah, it needs a lot. Right. Boy, does it need a lot right now. It needs love. It needs passion. It needs everything going on right now. Boy, does it need a lot of things. I can't believe how much it needs right now. But the point is, we meet that need by what we do in our ikigai. Mm. And the last question is, what can you do and what can you get paid for? Mm. And that's vocation. So, so you've put part of your ikigai together because you found what you love, you found what you're good at, you found some of the things the world needs, and you can get paid for it. <laughs> and that's and that's and that's it. That's the triangle you have to navigate. That's the triangle. Now, here's the key. Here, W. Clement Stone said, "Definitiveness of purpose is the starting point for all achievement." Mm. Mm. So, okay. uh, I mean, uh, uh, distilled down, I've heard a lot of people say, you know, if you, you know your why, if you know your why, uh, everything, everything kind of falls into place. Now, I forget the name of the author for that. I came across it not too long ago. I was at a seminar with him, in fact, and he said, know your why. And I agree. That's what people need to know. And, and another friend of mine, Corey Poirier, he wrote a book on the why and the how. And that's amazing. That's what, where it starts. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay, let's go on to the next pearl. It's yeah. non-negotiables. Non-negotiables. Okay, the wise treats the wise treat self-respect as non-negotiable and will not trade it for health or wealth or anything else. That's what Thomas Saz said. Now, non-negotiables are a list of things everybody needs to have. They need to know what they will not negotiate on that they will not touch, mm -hmm. that they will never, never stoop to have it. They're the is essential pearls of success. They are the keys to live it. They will define what you'll never compromise on. Mm -hmm. Do you have one non-negotiable that you could share with me, Gib? Uh, uh, I'm, trying, I, I'm trying to think off the top of my head, and I, I, I can't think of a non-negotiable. I mean, I, I think it would be... Uh, I, I need to, I need to live in the same town as my family, like my, my, well, my kids. That, like I want to, I want to be, I want, I, I, yeah. I'm not going to take a job that keeps me away from my, sure. from my kids for more than, you know, a couple of weeks. Good. And you know, you also said another one to me and, and that's, you love to work and make yourself better. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, you, that's a non-negotiable for you. You would not be the person you are if you couldn't get better at what you did. So if somebody put a, a brick on your head and said, stay in this position the rest of your life, you would never agree with it. Fair enough. Fair enough. Okay. Yes. 
So let's go into golden pearl number seven, and this is a biggie. It's forgiveness. And Joan Baez said, as we know, forgiveness of oneself is the hardest thing of all. And forgiveness is something that's very, very important. Mm. Now, forgiveness is not a natural emotion. Hate is. Hate is natural because when you're being chased by a bull or or being uh, thrown into some situation, the natural response for you is really to get out of it. And you have to do that with the 4F reaction, the flight, fright, fight reaction Mm -hmm. that makes you overcome it. And in the heart of that is hate and anger and violence. Mm -hmm. And, And, you know, so people have to learn that hate is not a, uh, they may hate, but they have to learn to forgive. They have to learn to get over the hump. And that's one of the hardest things that can be done. Mm -hmm. Marianne Williamson said, forgiveness is not always easy. At times it feels more painful than the wound we suffered. To forgive the one that inflicted it is very hard. And yet there is no peace without forgiveness. You know, when a snake bites you, what kills you? The venom. The venom. And it's the venom of hate that kills you when somebody hurts you. And when you forgive, it's not for the other person. It's for yourself to overcome that venom. What do you do in situations where, uh, I mean, is, is forgiveness something that we need to give out even in situations where maybe the person hasn't asked for forgiveness or isn't remorseful or is not maybe even not even aware that they've that uh, that of what they've done? You know, forgiveness is for yourself. It's not for the other person. And you got to realize that it's for you to heal. And let me tell you a little story that, and I want to take it out of this times of the United States where violence and so on has been going on. Right. I, w- I want to take you to India. And in India, there are two groups of people, Muslims and Hindus. Mm-hmm. And they've gone through terrible wars in the past. That's why India is a, is a country. And so, and is, so Pakistan. is Pakistan. Yeah. But during the times that they were forming, there were wars and people got killed. Many, many people got killed. And one person, a Hindu, killed a Muslim. And he went to Mahatma Gandhi, mortified by what he had done. And he said, Mahatma, how do I make myself better? How do I heal? And Mahatma said, Go to the streets of Calcutta, find the poorest child whose parents have been killed by this, and you must raise them in their own faith as a Muslim. You, a Hindu, must raise them as a Muslim. Hmm. Now, do you realize what that's saying? You must walk the world in the other person's shoes. You must live it as they did before you can criticize them. Mm -hmm. And that's where the forgiveness comes in and the dealing comes in. And you really must realize that's one of the most important things that you can do in life. You can really overcome anything by by forgiving, and you really can become a better person. Now, darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. That was from Martin Luther King. Mm -hmm. Uh, And the Bible. There's another significant book. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah. So I guess, I guess, if you're saying that forgiveness is for us, then then, you know, if you, it, 
I'm, I'm thinking in terms of, okay, so I'm thinking in terms of like the, some of the unrest that's going on in the United States as we're well, recording Well, let's this. take it again out of this emotionally charged situation. Okay. Let's go to South Africa. South Africa had a country where blacks were kept in the darkness. They were kept in a, a situation called apartheid, where whites had all the power, they mm -hmm. had everything else. And then the blacks ro rose up and overcame that. They Now, they thought there was going to be a bloodbath where every white citizen in South Africa was going to be killed for all the crimes that they had done. Mm -hmm. But, you know, Desmond Tutu rose up and said, you know, we can't do this. He found the Truth and Re Reconciliation Commission and the blacks that were savagely hurt, people that had family members that were lynched, that were whipped, that were killed, said they forgave the whites for what they had done. Mm -hmm. And there was no bloodshed whatsoever. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's, and I, so I guess, so even in the face of that sort of systemic, uh, that, that systemic oppression in your, and, and, and that, uh, societal structure that has kept people down for a very long time, the power of forgiveness is the power it rests with the victim and it is ultimately best. It's also ultimately best for uh, the people who do the forgiving. You know, I think that's very important. And I think that's the only pathway we have. Mm -hmm. I think that's really the only pathway that we have to really resolve the situation. We really must come to that. And I'm going to go to something that I wrote with this back on love. I believe that dreaming is stronger than reality. Desire is more potent than apathy. Mm -hmm. Hope is more powerful than despair. Joy always triumphs over sorrow. Mm -hmm. Laughter is the ultimate cure for man's foibles. Mm -hmm. And I believe that love is stronger than hate. And it's the greatest gift of all. I mean, How do I know? I've been fortunate to experience them all. I mean, and, and honestly, this is, these are just variations on a theme, right? This is all just light driving out the darkness. You've got it. You've got the light driving out the darkness. You, you know, hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's where enlightenment comes in. And that's where attitude comes in. You know, attitude is golden pearl number eight. You play the held hand you're dealt with. The game's worthwhile, said Christopher Reeves. And he was super bad, and he was confined to being a quadriplegic after he fell off a horse. Right, 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 right. So if anybody, okay. I mean, you know, he, talk about uh, if, he, if he can approach things with a good attitude having fallen that far, then, uh, then we, all probably, we all probably can. Well, he taught a lot of people a lot of things. So when he fell off his horse, he became a professional speaker. And that's what was important. You know, Michael Jordan said, my attitude is that if you push me towards something that you think is a weakness, then I will turn that perceived weakness into a strength. Wow. Wow. What a statement for what a professional he was. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, how do you... And the, I, so I guess... <laughs> I mean, that's a different conversation, right? It's like, how do you turn those weaknesses into strength aside from, uh, aside from just, uh, is it just attitude? Is it just, is it just changing your attitude and your approach to it that makes your weakness a strength? Well, I think part of it is attitude, but I think the second part is action. I think you've got to act 
try something, see if it works, and then act again if it doesn't work. Mm-hmm. I think you've got to be trying things all the time. You've got to move forward. Now, golden pearl number nine we've covered. It's thankfulness. Mm. But golden number pearl number 10 is tenacious. Are you tenacious, Gib? Uh, you know, I, I like to think that I am. I know that's, okay. a, that's a wishy-washy answer, but like, you know, there are things that I, I, I don't know, maybe my non-negotiables get in the way of my tenacity. Like there are things that I don't work hard enough to go after because I don't, um, because I get into a sense of complacency and I, you know, I don't want to give up certain things that are, that are comfortable, which is, I, I know another one of the pearls, right? Which is, you know, you got to get out of your comfort zone. Well, exactly. So, so what is tenacity? Well, it's the act of being persistent. Mm-hmm. And what is persistent? It's the act of tenacity. So it, it's a very self, tautological. It's a circle. Yeah. You, you know, it's basically you've got to have that drive that keeps you forward. Mm-hmm. And if you are determined enough and willing to pay the price, you can get it done. That's mm-hmm. Mike Ditka, coach of the Chicago Bears, a Super Bowl winner. And if you follow football at all, Chicago has not been a hotbed of football as far as winning goes. They've done it once, maybe. <laughs> right, right. Okay, so that's the key. Okay, so let's go to laughter. What do you think about laughter, Gip? Uh, fundamental. I mean, if, if the the joy in life is is the joy in life. I mean, you, you got to be able to, in fact, uh, there's nothing that, for me, gets me through pain better than being able to laugh about it. Yeah. And, I, you know, Will Rogers once said an onion can make people cry, but there's never been a vegetable that can make you laugh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Right. You know, so think about it. Laughter is one of the things that brings our brain and body back into the same realm. It's one of the things that makes us change in a second from something that was evil to something that really is is wonderful. Mm-hmm. And it's laughter that really changes everything else. And, and Stephen King said, you can't deny laughter. When it comes, it plays down in your favorite chair and stays with you as long as it wants. Right. Stephen I mean, I, King. The more you try yeah, to stop yourself game. from laughing, the more, the more, the more you end up laughing. Absolutely. And, and, you know, scientists have actually studied laughter. And there was a a doctor by the name of Richard Wiseman who found the world's funniest joke. Do you you want to hear the world's funniest joke? Oh, I mean, obviously. Okay. So so Richard studied every joke. He put all the jokes together in the world and got people to rate them. And he came up with this one. There were two hunters— they were out in the woods, okay? One fell down. He was looks like he was dead. His buddy said, buddy, buddy, wake up, wake up. His buddy didn't do anything. So he pulls out his cell phone and he phones 911 and talks to the operator. Operator, operator, operator. My buddy, I think he's dead. The operator says, calm down, sir. I think I can help you. First, make sure he's dead. So the phone drops down. You can hear in the distance. A rifle shot, and it goes crack. He comes back, <laughs> and he says, "Yes, he's dead. What do I do now?" <laughs> yeah, uh, that's probably the world's worst joke. I mean, it's yeah, best joke. Uh, it's, it's, it's so definitely bad. a groaner. It's a dad joke for sure. Well, that's what it is. It's so bad you got to laugh at it, right? right? It's so bad. So, so isn't that what life is really all about? Mm-hmm. I mean, do you sl- laugh at people slipping on a banana peel? Yes, of course. 
Of course. Why? It's not funny. He's going to get hurt, but right, it's right. funny. But nothing okay. makes my nothing makes my kids laugh harder than me falling down. So like you know, it's 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 an eight. And the world's funniest joke, uh, the funniest videos on TV, it's all about slapstick scuber like that. And you always end up laughing when mm-hmm. something stupid happens. Yeah, it's true. Isn't, isn't that what it's all about? I mean, that's the key with laughter is laughter makes everything happen. Mm-hmm. And laughter is really one of the keys there. And let's let's now just turn the corner to enthusiasm. What do you think about enthusiasm, Gip? Very important. It, it, it makes everything better. You know, there's no, it's not success that brings enthusiasm. It is enthusiasm that brings success. Mm. That was Waldo Eberson that said that. And it's true. Now, let, let me tell you a little story about success and, and enthusiasm. Would you mind? Please. Okay. There was a carpenter. His name was Fred. And he had worked for the same company for 35 years, but he had had enough. He was tired. He had no longer had the enthusiasm for the job that he used to have. So, you know, he went to his boss and threw his keys on the desk and said, boss, I'm dead. His boss didn't know what to say. He said, oh, my God, it's your last day. And Fred said, yes, I'm done. I'm out of here. It's finished. The boss said, oh, Fred, could you just do one more job for me? Just one more. And Fred said, of course, boss, I've loved it here. This has been the only job I've ever had. It was a fantastic job. What would you like? The boss said, could you build just one more house for me? Just one more. You're my master carpenter. Only you can do that. Mm. Uh, Fred said, okay, I'll do it. But his heart wasn't into it. He dragged his butt to work every day. He barely got the job done. He mm. did shoddy workmanship, something he had never be done before in his life. But, you know, the house was so badly done, yet it just passed inspection. So he was done now. He went to his boss, threw the keys on the desk and say, I'm out of here. The boss said, just hold it. I'm going to gather everybody around in the office. Everyone, this is Fred's last day. He's been my best employee for 45 years. I've loved everything I could do. And, you know, to honor Fred, I'm going to give him a very special gift. Fred, here's the keys to the last house you ever built. Please live with it, with all the enthusiasm that you've shown for the job. Right. Okay. You see, enthusiasm is not a Monday thing. Enthusiasm is not a Friday thing. Enthusiasm is not a Tuesday thing. It's something you have to break every right. day to the job. Otherwise, it's not a that's job. That's going to be what you live, and that's going to be what you live with. Exactly. The end results of your enthusiasm are the job that you've done. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Isn't that true of of what you do? Mm-hmm. Okay. Now let's go to empowerment. And this is the final another- golden pearl. This is golden for old, unless you want to cover the bonus one, which is fear. We can, well, well, let's, let's do this one and then we can do fear in a minute. Okay. So empowerment, the more you trust your intuition, the more empowered you become, the stronger you become, the happier you become. That's Giselle Bunchein that has said that. And there's a little thing about empowerment. And I'm going to tell you the little story I created this and I created because of COVID-19. And it starts with uneducated, naive, naive me. I have a cold. 
I arrive from abroad. I'm asked to go into social isolation. I listen to Simon Garfield's song, I Am a Rock. I have my books and my poetry to protect me. I am shielded in my armor, hiding in my room, safe within my womb. I touch no one and no one touches me. I am a rock. I, I am, am an, an island. And a rock feels no pain and an island never cries. Mm -hmm. Okay. Then we go to me learning. I walk outside to get a breath of fresh air. I am told by a stranger that I'm not following social distancing requirements. I go back to my home. I listen to Simon and Garfield's si sounds of silence. Mm -hmm. hello, hello, darkness, my old friend. I've come to talk to you again. And because of vision softly creeping, left its seeds when I was sleeping, and the vision that was planted in my brain still remains, the sounds of silence. And then I go into educating me. I talk about the learned me and finally the empowered me. The empowered me is this. I love my nest. I again listen to Simon and Garfield's I am a rock. I've built rocks. Of, uh, I've built walls, a fortress deep and mighty that none may penetrate. I have no need for friendship. Friendship causes pain. But I disagree with the wording and the sentiment. I am alone, sheltered, but empowered. Okay? That's what empowerment is. Empowerment changes your mindset. It makes you powerful even when the situation is not powerful. It changed you from a victim to a person that overcomes your victimness. You're willing to be yourself. And you're pleasantly surprised that you love yourself. And that self is really important to the world. Um, uh, yeah. So, so what, I mean, <clears throat> I, I love the Simon and Garfunkel references, but how do, how can you land that plane a little, a, a little bit uh, more sure. for me? So, so, so you, you approach life isolated, you go out into the world and you find, you come back and you find solace in these lyrics, but how, how does that, where, where do you end up yeah, with that empowerment element? Basically it comes from this, it's to realize that no one will determine your story, but yourself. Mm. That was from Amy Schumer, that you must determine your own story, that you are solely in control of your own destiny. Mm. Mm. That's empowerment. Yeah. No one else could control it for you. Which which also changes, I mean it goes back to the idea of attitude, right? Like uh that and and how and and what was the 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 stoic philosophy line that that you quoted earlier which is it's not the things that happen to you but how you react to them that matters. Uh, I'm paraphrasing. Well, it it's not what happens, it's what you do with what happens. Right. That that's the stoic sentiment. Right, and that bleeds right into this empowerment notion, right? It's if, if and I'm going to bleed right into the chapter that goes on on fear. And here's Frank Herbert from Dune that said, "I must not fear. Fear is a mind killer. Fear is the little death that brings total obliteration. I will face my fear. I will permit it to pass over me and through me. And when it is gone past, I will turn the inner eye to see its path." Where the fear has gone, there will be nothing. 
only I will remain. Mm. Okay. Mm. So there's some power there about fear. And we have nothing to fear but fear itself. Fear is a little demon that goes on in our brain. And 94% of fears are unrealized. Mm. They're all uh, things else. Is that a real fact? Is that a real fact that 94% of things we're afraid of never happen? Scientists scientists have studied that, yes. And, And fear is an epidemic. It stands for false expectations appearing real. That's what fear is. So fear is something that really is something that we make up in our mind and we really blow it out of proportion. And and that's really, really what fear is about. It it really is something we conjure up ourselves and it's the shadows that is there. Fear is not about being afraid. It's being afraid, but taking action anyhow. That was Carl Menninger that said that. You see, you can't be courageous unless you have fear. Right. Fear is not something that it can incapacitate you unless you let it. You take the first step and it's overcome. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Fear, I mean, yeah, yeah. Uh, courage is, you know, uh, f- f- courage isn't the absence of fear. Courage is is being afraid and acting anyway. And to your yeah. point, as like uh, I've done, I've done, I'm terribly afraid of heights, but I've done a bunch of rope courses and rappelling and rock climbing. Uh, and I'll tell you that the scariest thing is that moment right before you step off for a rappel is that exactly. first lean back. Once you've leaned back and you're on the rope, it actually becomes kind of fun. But it's yes. that moment when you first lean back before you're actually, before you've actually taken the step, that is the height of fear. And I've done, I've gone zip lining too. And the scariest part of ziplining is when you step off the platform. Yes, exactly. And that there's something I want to talk about. And that, you know, the Chinese symbol for crisis has two parts. The two parts are very interesting. One part means danger. The other one means opportunity. So in every crisis is danger and opportunity. Mm. The question is which one you concentrate on becomes your reality. That's the like the old. Uh, I've talked about this before. There's a there's an old uh, Native Amer- Indigenous American parable, which um, which is the uh, uh, every man there are two wolves. Uh, one is uh, one is full of fear and doubt and insecurity, and the other is you know. Uh, uh, courage and and fearlessness and etc. and and the guy asks the which one which one wins whichever one you feed. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Now fear is a bit like dancing; you're enveloped by the music, so you dance with it. Mm-hmm. But to conquer fear, you must surrender to it. Mm. That's the way you overcome fear. That's the important part of fear. How is do you overcoming. surrender to it and overcome it? That's the puzzle, isn't it? Yeah. Isn't that a trick? But the answer is you overcome that little voice inside your head saying, I'm afraid, and you take an action. You take that baby step and you overcome it. Mm. That's how you win. That's how you win the day. That's how you win the war. So how do you... Yeah, I mean, but, but how, how, how does that giving into the fear but also overcoming it? Does that make sense? Like... Is it, did you, when you say giving into, do you mean just like accepting that it's there, 
breathing it in and then enacting anyway. Is that what you mean by that? You said the words better than I could there. That's exactly what I mean. You actually recognize the fear. You let it come into your soul. You become vulnerable to it and you overcome it because of the vulnerability that's there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, those are the 13 golden pearls, folks. Uh, and and, and, and they, of course, they're covered in much more elaboration. Right. I mean, and I feel like we need I could to. Only, I could only scratch the, circus, the surface here because there's so much in this book. There's over 40,000 words, believe it or not. And each one was carefully chosen for this over four years and rechosen and rechosen. And that's why this book, I think, is a very significant part of literature. It's, it's a very significant. And I don't say that to brag. It's because of the people that have told me about it that have read it. Mm-hmm. And it's not just the actual words themselves, but also the order that they are in that is also important. And that was also chosen specifically. You know, we really thought about this book a lot. We thought about how we could make it so perfect for people mm-hmm. and really help their lives. And we've also thought about something else and how we can make this part of everybody's life. And I, I've done that because if everybody could text me, everybody texts this day and the, the, the words golden pearls to one eight one nine seven one seven two five one five. That's one eight one nine seven one seven. Two five one five. I will send you fifty-two golden pearls, one golden pearl a week That's to great. help this your process. And uh, for example, I just got my golden pearl for the week, and it was Dolly Parton saying everybody has a purpose. And last week there was one on vulnerability mm. that really helped me when I was feeling really vulnerable. So these are little sayings, little mantras that everybody can use in their own life every day, and they can help make the meaning of this help bubble up and become that much more precious for them so that they can really, really become part of this and understand this book and really make it part of their life. Uh, I will put that phone number in the show notes so people can, and, 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 and what to text, will be right there in the show notes for you guys. So you guys can be a part of that, getting those weekly golden pearls from Dr. Leica. Um, one more thing, uh, actually two final questions before I let you go, Dr. Leica. We've been talking for a long time. One is, uh, aside from that text messaging, where can people follow up with you? You know, the best way to do that is to go to my website. That's Dr. Alan Leica. That's D-R-A-L-L-E-N, Leica, L-Y-C-K-A dot com. Uh, we've got a beautiful website, and there's ways to get in touch with me there as well. Uh, secondly, if you'd like to get a book, you can buy it directly from Amazon.com or Amazon.ca if you're from Canada. There's a fantastic price on right now. I don't know how long it will last. I have no uh, ability to adjust the price, but this is a steal of a price, so you should get it while it's really a steal. And, and lastly, if you'd like to find out a little bit more, there's a video on the site, fantastic lifebook.com fantasticlifebook.com there's an interview with Harriet Nye by Jack Canfield on there. Oh yeah. And you know Jack Canfield from Chicken Soup for the Soul. Of course. He actually wrote the foreword for my book here as well. So you should check it out because he's a wonderful person and uh, Jack interviewed us for this book. So uh, link to, to the website where to buy the books uh, are are in the show notes as we speak. One last thing, and I ask it to everybody, Dr. Leica, what is one thing we can all start doing today to make our lives a whole lot better? 
you know, follow the golden pearls and it's remember the saying, it's not what happens to you. Mm. It's what you do to make it happen. So the you do really is the important part. So that's what you got to do. You got to listen to those words and take them to heart. There you have it. Dr. Laika, thank you so much for your time today. We really appreciate it. Gib, thank you. This really was a pleasure. Thank you for letting me be part of your show. Thank you, be your audience, for listening to us. Oh, it was a great day today. <laughs> I have a good one. Thank you, sir. That's it for our show today. Thank you guys so much for listening. If you like this episode, please rate, comment, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. It helps us out a lot. It really does. I've seen some of the uh, of the reviews that you guys have been posting lately. Thank you so much. If you want to follow up with John, facebook.com slash John Tesh. We go live there all the time. You can check that out. Uh, he is also on Twitter at John Tesh, on Instagram at John Tesh underscore IFYL. I am Kip Gerard. You find me, find me at facebook.com slash Kip Gerard or at Kip Gerard on Instagram and Twitter. Thank you guys uh, so much for listening. I try to respond to every DM. I try to respond to every mention of the show because I do the show for you guys. I've actually had some guests on the show based on the feedback that I've got from you. So keep doing that. It means a lot to me. You guys do the show for you guys. So thank you so much for listening.